Um, before I start, I just really want to say another little prayer just to, to start so that the Holy Spirit will just give me the words to say. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'll be with me as I speak, that your Holy Spirit will use me, and that um, it will not be me speaking, but that you will speak through me. We thank you for the opportunity to share our faith and our love for you. And in your name I pray, amen. Okay, so um, I entitled my sermon, The Unlikely Witness, and um, I think it's very fitting because... Um, God calls people that we normally wouldn't think um, would be possible of accomplishing a task um, or a mission to, to do something for him. And um, if you look throughout the Bible, you will see many times where God calls people to be unlikely witnesses for him. And it just amazes me that, you know, God doesn't call the qualify. He qualifies the call. Amen. And so um, I just want to focus on the story of um, Paul, the life of Paul and his conversion and how, how God called him. And so I would like to, if we can go to Acts 26. Acts 26, and um, and a little um, background here. Paul is speaking to um, King Agrippa, and um, pretty much King Agrippa was visiting, visiting Festus, and um, Festus was telling King Agrippa about Paul. And um, Paul was like, and uh, King Agrippa was like, I would like to hear this man speak. And um, Festus was like, I don't know if I should send him back to Jerusalem. But then Paul appeals to Rome. So here um, they're figuring out what they want to do with Paul. And um, King Agrippa is just wanting to hear why this man is in bonds, why this man is imprisoned. And. Um, Paul here is able to share his conversion experience. He's able to share his testimony and what um, Christ had done for him. And um, so I would like to pick up in verse um, 4, Acts 26, verse 4. And it says... um, "My manner." So Paul is here telling his testimony to King Agrippa. And it says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, known of all Jews. Verse 5, Which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And so, um, I just want to hone in on this point, is that Paul is sharing his experience, and he's saying, "Growing up, I lived from the I lived out of the straightest sect of our religion. I was a Pharisee. I lived the life of a Pharisee." And um, 
The life of a Pharisee was pretty much a religious leader, right? They knew the ceremonial laws, right? They knew the, the five books of the Bible. They, they were teachers of the law. And so Paul had a theory of religion, but he didn't have Jesus in his heart. So he's saying, I grew up in such a beautiful spiritual background. I had so much knowledge of the law and the ceremonial laws. But there was one thing that was lacking in the life of Paul. Um, It also said um, that um, he had a zeal for God's law and for um, what he knew. But it was disconnected with his faith in Jesus Christ. And so um, we, continue, uh, we continue to go on to verse um, 6. And he says, And now I stand and I am judged for the hope of the promise made of God to our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come for which hope's sake King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be um, thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So we see here that Paul is sharing, um, or Saul, is sharing his experience of um, how he wanted to do things contrary to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so he, in his unconverted state, wanted to go against Christ. And he wanted to go all the way. And um, we see that in verse 10. It says, For which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blasphemy, and being exceedingly mad, made against them and persecuted them unto the strange cities. So we see here that um, Paul went to the uttermost even to the strange cities, to persecute the Christians and persecute God's people. Um, His life was lacking Jesus. And how many times us being raised in in a religious background, in a Christian background, in an Adventist background, have we had a knowledge of Christ? We've had a knowledge of many prophecies, of the health message. We know so many truths, yet we do not connect it to Christ personally in our life. And so we may profess to be Christians. We may outwardly do things to show that we are good with God, but are our hearts right with God? We may be zealous for the truth, but we may lack the love of Jesus Christ. Paul was destitute of Jesus Christ. Those very ceremonies and laws that he performed 
he did not know that all of those were pointing to Jesus and his character and who he was. And so um, as we continue, we go to um, verse 12. So it says, Whereupon I went to Damascus with the authority... I went to Damascus with the um, authority and commission from the chief priest. And so he goes to Damascus to go and to seek out and to kill more, more Christians, right? And he says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And so here we see that Paul is about to carry out this deed to kill all the Christians. And all of a sudden, he's with his armies, he's with, every, with his whole um, regiment, And he sees a great shining light from heaven. And he has this experience. He sees Jesus in all of his glory. He understands that this was the Messiah that was to come. The one who died and was risen. And he understands when Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why are you crucifying me? Why are you crucifying me? He understands now that it is his sin, it is his sins that have crucified Christ. It is what he has done to God's children by killing the saints, that inadvertently he is crucifying Jesus. In order to know God, we all have to have this experience like Paul did. Um, we all have to recognize that we at one point in our lives have crucified Christ. We have to come and see God as our personal Savior and recognize that we were the ones who put Jesus on that tree. We were the ones who nailed him to the cross. We were the ones that um, crucified Christ. Um. In um, Hebrews, there's a verse that says that we have crucified Christ afresh. We must recognize that it is our sins um, that have crucified Jesus. We must come to that personal realization that we have crucified Jesus. There is a song that says, um, Were you there when you crucified my Lord? Well, we were all there when we crucified our Lord. Our distrust in God crucifies our Lord. Our inactivity to share our faith with others crucifies our Lord. Holding on to hatred and not forgiving others crucifies our Lord. How are we crucifying our Lord today? What are the sins that so easily beset our life? Just like Paul under just like Paul 
Paul, Saul, just like Saul understood that he was hurting Jesus by his sins. So we need to understand that when we sin, we are hurting our Savior. We are crucifying him afresh. And may we come in repentance and forgiveness. May we come to Jesus and ask for repentance and forgiveness. And he will cleanse us. He will accept us when we come to him and ask him to change us. This, pu- this persecutor of Christ has become a disciple and a teacher and a learner. Converted, his whole life has changed. And um, the vision of the crucified and changed, and the vision of the, uh, the crucified one changed his whole current of life. When we come in contact with Jesus Christ, he will change our life. He will make us new. When we recognize that we have, when we have an experiment, a experiential knowledge of the love of Jesus in our life, he will completely change us and make us new, just like he did to Paul. And we know that um, after Paul's um, after Paul saw that great light and he saw Jesus, we know that um, he was in Damascus and he was blind for three days, right? And we know that Ananias came and um, healed him of his blindness. And we know that he was baptized. We know he was in Arabia for three years preparing himself for the great commission that God had called him to do, to be a minister and a witness. He was an unlikely witness because he was a murderer of God's people, and he was, of, he was a Pharisee of the straightest religion. They hated Jesus. They essentially crucified him on the cross. He definitely was an unlikely witness, but when Jesus touches your life, he changes everything. And when he saw Jesus, and when he recognized that he was hurting Christ, he humbly repented and asked for God's forgiving grace. This is what we must do as well. And this is what motivated Paul to... um, This is the theme of Paul's sermons, and Paul's preaching was the love of Christ and what Jesus had done for him in his own life. Um, I'd like to go to a couple of verses. It was the love of Jesus that motivated Paul through the difficult times in his life. Um, if we go to Romans 1, 16. This is what the pastor preached last week. Um, Romans 1, 16 says... For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He understood that it was the power of salvation. It is our love for Jesus that continues to help us move along 
through all the difficulties and all the trials that we face today. Um, we go to 2 Corinthians 5.14. 2 Corinthians 5.14. 5, and it says here, 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, Then we're all dead. So here Paul says, the love of Christ constrains us. The love of the gospel constrains us. When we recognize and see how much God has done in our life, there's nothing really hard for us to do for him. Another thing he says in Romans 8, um, 38 and 39. You can go to Romans 8. Thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Um, it says, "For I am persuaded that neither death or life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ." So Paul had that passion that that zeal, that desire, and that love for Jesus. That same passion that he had to persecute um, the Christians, now converted, he uses that same zeal and that same love into spreading the gospel for Jesus Christ. And I think about, even in my past, how many things have I done passionately that had nothing to do about Jesus? My schooling, my sports how I dress, the people that I watch on TV, the movie stars, the people that I idolize. How much time of my life have I poured in to knowing these people and to be, wanting to be like these people? But when Jesus comes and changes your life, your whole life revolves around Jesus Christ. How can I eat for Jesus? How can I dress for Jesus? How can I speak for Jesus? What music can I listen to because I love Jesus so much? Everything revolves around how you want to please Jesus. Because the love of Christ constraineth us. Also Romans 1.14 says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians. He recognized that he was a debtor to those who were destitute of God's love and the knowledge of God's love. Paul, yes, Paul was a unlikely witness. And um, I want to share with you just a, a quote from Thoughts of the Mount of Blessings. And um, it talks about what happens when we come and we give ourselves to Jesus, the gospel experience. He bids you to exchange your poverty for the riches of his grace. We are not worthy of God's love, but Christ our surety is worthy, and he is abundantly able to save all who will come unto him. Whatever has been your past experience, however discouraging your present circumstance, If you will come to Jesus just as you are, weak, helpless, and despairing, 
Our compassionate Savior will meet you a great way off. He will throw about you his arms of love and his robe of righteousness. He presents us to the Father clothed in white raiment. Of his own, uh, he presents us to the Father clothed in his white raiment of his own character. He pleads before God in our behalf, saying, I have taken the sinner's place. Look not upon this wayward child, but look on me. Does Satan plead loudly against our souls, accusing us of sin? The blood of Christ pleads with greater power. It's such a blessing to know. Does Satan say, hey, you're mine? Oh, you've done all these sins. You can't serve me. Look at your life. Do you know that the blood of Christ pleads with greater power if you will just come and give all to him? This was the experience of Paul, his conversion experience. And I want to say another quote from Steps to Christ, page um, 78, verse 2. It says, No sooner does one come to Christ than there is in his, born, in his heart a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he has found in Jesus. The saving and sanctifying truth cannot be shut up in the heart. If we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and are filled with the joy of his indwelling spirit, we cannot be able to hold our peace. If we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we, have, we, shall, we shall have something to tell, right? And so as soon as Jesus is born in our hearts, we have a desire to share that with others. Because God has done so much for us, how can we not keep that in? It's like me, I love food, like going to a restaurant. When you go to a good restaurant, you have to tell everybody, man, this food is really good. And you're just sharing it because it's such a great news. I think of um, Pastor Jeff and Nikel. they just had a baby. I'm telling everybody because I'm just so happy for them. I'm texting random people and just like, hey, did you know they had a baby? I was like, I know it's really random, but it's good news. This is good news. And how much more what Jesus has done for us. How much more. Um, I also like to share. I also, like Paul, am am an unlikely witness. Um, I was raised in the church. I'm sharing my testimony now. Paul shares his. I'm sharing mine. I was raised in the church and um, from a babe. <laughs> and um, I was raised in a good Christian family that taught me great morals. And um, that always the Bible stories, the big blue Bible stories, we had all of those. We had the tape cassettes. You know, ding, turn the page, I'd turn the page off of the different stories about Jesus. And um, I grew up in a very religious home, yet I didn't have, I didn't, as growing up and getting older, I didn't understand Jesus as a personal savior. And even though I had all these influences around me of spiritual role models, I myself was not connected with Christ. Um, pretty much, I lived a superficial lifestyle through high school. Um, I sought value from the things of the world. 
I thought maybe if I dressed a certain way, I would have more value in myself. I thought maybe if I went into certain relationships, that that would give me true value. I thought um, maybe my friends would give me value. Maybe the music I would listen to in the world, maybe that would give me value and worth. But all of it just left me empty inside. And I was seeking to know God, but in a sense, I didn't, I didn't know how to know God. And so one day I, I come to my mom and I, I ask her, how do you, how do you know God? And um, she told me, well, just read your Bible. I'm like, oh, okay. So 18 years being raised in the church, I had no clue of how to know God. And I started reading my Bible. I started from Genesis. And as I started, it was very boring. (laughs) And I was like, oh, man, this is intense. Okay, God created the light. That's great. Um, But because I was so inundated with watching TV and music and all this stuff, I really didn't think for myself. I just, it's kind of like the world just throws so much information at you. You don't have time to really think about it. And so as I started going through the Bible, I was like, Mom, you know, this is really hard. Like, what's another, how can I understand it? And she's like, well, read these commentaries on Ellen White called um, Patriarchs and Prophets. So as I started going through the commentary and as I started reading the Bible, God became more real to me. And um, my, I started reading another book called Messages to the Young People, and that book also was a blessing to me. Um, that was my first book I finished. I was so excited. I picked up another book called True Education, and I read through it, and I was like, wow, this is very interesting. And at that time, I was looking to go to college. So I I said, God, if you are real, show me where I need to go. And also, if you are real, show me a school that is practicing this book just like true education. Because I don't see any schools doing that. So you're going to have to find and lead me to that school. But I put that thought away, and I really just let it go. I had my own plans and my own ideas um, for school. I had everything set and planned for next semester. I had all my classes lined up. Um, but before that, I ended up going to a conference called GYC. And um, as I went to that conference, um, I was just so shocked. I was like, wow, there's other young people that love God? Like, I just never really saw it growing up in a church. I saw a lot of... Um, just entertainment for the young people. And I didn't see anything very solid. So um, going to GYC was something very shocking for me to see that there were actually young people that were serious about their faith. And as I went there, someone gave me a DVD um, through the booze and stuff. When I, was, when I came back home, I had a DVD that it said, True Education. I was like, whoa, that's just what I'm talking about, true education. That's what I've been reading in my book. So as I put it in, it was by Chester Clark III. I put it in, and I listened to it, and I was like, wow, I need to go to the school. I don't know where it is. I don't know what it's about, but I really believe in everything what this guy is teaching or what it's very biblical-based. So I... um, I. Yeah, so pretty much I told my parents that I need to go to the school. 
And um, we called up the school, got some information. My mom was like, Ay, God is leading you, praise the Lord. My dad's like, what in the world are you doing? So it was a total, um, uh, my one parent was like, yes, the other one was like, no. But in reality, I dropped all my classes and I went to this little school in Arkansas called Washita Hills College. And as I went to this um, Christian college, I, we were going up to the college, and I was like, oh, Lord, are you sure you want me to be here? This is in the middle of nowhere. Like, I was even second-guessing, like, man, did God really call me to this place? And um, the bridge, there was a bridge, and it was all broken down. And um, we even took a picture of the bridge because my dad's, like, a construction worker. He's like, how is this thing holding up? But um, it was very interesting while I was like, wow. I can't believe it. But as I got to the college, I understood why God brought me there. And it was a very um, Christ-centered college and very spiritual. And I knew this is where God wanted me to be. Even my dad mentioned, oh, this is the school of the prophets. This is the Adventists of Navy SEALs. I'm like, okay, Dad, you're going a little too far there. But as I went there, I knew that it was something that God wanted me to be there. And it was a total change from my lifestyle and what I was doing. And I wanted to change. So I was there for, um, I was started out and I was there for three weeks. And um, when this happened, um, after the three weeks, I got a call that um, my dad was sick. And they said he had an aneurysm. So, um, yeah, it was so bad that they had to fly him to a hospital in New York called Mount Sinai, which is a very good hospital. And um, they put him in ICU. And um, when we got, when, so it was three weeks. So I know this circum, I know the devil was attacking me. And I know that just because I wanted to make a change, I know this was something that the devil was trying to bring me down. So um, I went back to New York, and I went and I saw my dad, and um, he was weak. He was really, um, really bad, and um, he didn't have an aneurysm. They, they misdiagnosed him. He had um, herpes encephalitis, um, which is a virus that attacks the central nervous system of the brain, and he was in critical condition. He was in ICU for three months, and... Um, during that, during that time that I was with my father um, for three weeks, um, it was a really hard, it was a humbling experience. And um, it showed me that nobody could save my father. The doctors didn't know what to do. Nobody, only someone, only God could intervene and do some miracle to save my father. And just seeing a man so strong and healthy, he was like 40-something, just seeing a guy so strong and healthy and just seeing him wither away and be so skinny and just just really looked really bad. And um, it was during that moment that I, I read a book called The Desire of Ages. And um, this book... I was reading it on the life of Christ about um, how when Jesus died on Calvary and how the Father was willing to give up his son so that we could have life. And as I read that, I was like, wow, that's true and unselfish love. The Father was willing to give up his son so that we could have life, and we didn't even deserve it. 
but I'm not, but my dad is dying right now, and I just want him to live because I love my dad, and I want him to live, and I have selfish reasons why. But I understood that God's love went far beyond our natural selfish love. And I was like, okay, God, if you want my father to live, let it be so. But if you want him to die, then let it be so. Because I know that your love is greater than this. And I know that you were willing to give up everything so that we could have life. And that, that moment brought a lot of, that relieved me. Um, um, that relieved me and I could feel that stress was going out because I knew that God was in control. And so after the three weeks, I went back to school. My father was still in critical um, condition. And um, they had something called canvassing. They're like, okay, you guys are going to go door to door. And I did have know nothing about that. But I was like, God, I, I love you. And I want to show my love for you. And I want to do something. So I started um, going door to door and meeting people and sharing with them about my faith. And I learned to be more compassionate with those who are suffering, those who, are, um, those who have family members that have cancer, or any disease. I understood what it went through to go through pain and to suffer. And this whole incident of my father getting sick brought our whole family together. Before, we were not spiritual at all. But this drove us to our knees. This showed us what are the real things in life. Family is important. God is important. These are one of the most important things of life. Money, profession, all these things are not as important as your family and God. And so um, my father, he, as he was in the ICU, he had a trachea because um, he couldn't. Um, they took him off the ventilator. They put a trachea. Um, his lungs collapsed, so they had to take from his ribs to repair his lungs. And um, he was six months in the hospital total. And uh, when he got out, um, the, the, um, the doctor said, yeah, just put him in a nursing home. He's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's not going to survive this. So people with herpes encephalitis, he, if they do survive, he's like, they'll be like a vegetable. And my mom was like, I know, but I serve a God in heaven who can do miracles. And so my mom um, took him and did natural remedies. And um, she also did some natural remedies in the hospital while the doctors weren't watching. She did hot and cold and did lots of massages because the nurses didn't have time to turn him over a lot. So... um, when they took him out, my mom taught him how to chew and swallow. She went on a strict diet of eating natural, more juicing. And after, the, after a couple of months, my father was walking, talking, chewing, eating, and doing all the normal things that any man can do. And it was a miracle to see how God had wrought in my father's life. And if God was willing to do that for my father... What, what can I not do for him? If he was willing to save my father's life, every time I look at my father, it's a living testimony of what God has done in my life. How can I not share the gospel with others? How can I not preach to people about the love of Jesus if the love of Jesus has been so deep and so profound in my life? 
And my father is a living testimony of what Jesus has done for me. And yes, I am an unlikely witness. I graduated from elementary education, but I had, because I had seen what Jesus had done in my life, I had a desire to share that love with others. And I was a very, I still am, very shy and quiet and introverted person. I really want to stay in my bubble. I don't want to talk to you. Um, I do want to talk to you, but it has to be very person, pers- it has to be very meaningful, and it has to be something that I'm interested in. It's very hard for me to be extroverted, but because of the love of Jesus, the love of Christ constrains me. I'm like, God... I love you. I'm going to do this anyways. And so this is what um, pushes me to want to be a witness and want to share my faith with others. Um, And so I started, I had a teaching job in in, uh, New Hampshire. And I went to New Hampshire and the job failed. The school closed down. And um, I was like, God, why, why, do you, why are you doing this? And um, the pastor there was like, well, we have a Bible working position. I'm like, um. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to just totally brush it off. I'm going to pray about it. And I came back and I said, you know what? I'm here right now. I probably can't get any teaching jobs at this point. Um, so I might as well just follow through with it. So, but I enjoyed doing Bible work anyways, but I wasn't expecting it, you know? I wasn't like, hey, I was like, I would like to do Bible work, but it wasn't something that I was thinking, like, right now. And as I, as I started um, doing the Bible work, and as I started working with people, I started meeting people that were really in need of Jesus. And as I started to minister to them, I saw that their lives were changing, And I saw that God could use me. And I saw that um, many of them were able to be baptized. And I saw how their life was totally and completely changed by Jesus Christ. And I was like, I want to keep doing this. Because this is what keeps me alive. This is what keeps my, my love for Jesus going. And so this is why I'm here today. Um... Bible working because God has done such great and wonderful things in my life. Also, God is calling us. We, I am a likely witness. You are an unlikely witness. And this end time generation will be an unlikely witness. God is going to use this end time generation to share the gospel to the world, the most weakest generation, the most degraded generation morally, physically, spiritually, and mentally. Um, there is a man called um, Mark Berlin. He, he wrote a book called The Dumbest Generation. And he, he took it from a secular point of view, a secular point of view, and um, he wrote about the dumbest generation, or don't trust anyone over 30. And um, he was gearing towards this, towards young people, towards 18 to 24 years of age. 
But he was saying, why, the, why in today's society, why are we living in the dumbest generation ever? Three points that I want to just um, go really quick. Um, he says, knowledge deficits, the least supply of common life, social and cultural knowledge of any generation. Disconnect them from their devices and they will die. So if you put anybody out in the woods, they wouldn't know how to survive because they're so used to using their devices. They're so used to using their phone, GPS, how to get here and there. And so he said that we don't know how to live a practical life, basic survival skills. He was saying, um, bibliophobes, this, is, this generation has a disregard of books and reading. He also said, um, another point, he said, um, screen time, the greatest amount of time in front of a screen of any generation. We have our phones, we have our TVs, we have our iPads, we have all of these things, and all of these things are distracting us from what our true purpose and our true cause. Yes, they can be good for, used for good things, um, but we don't have to be the dumbest generation, right? God is call, not calling us to live of the standards of this world, right? We live by the standards of God's word. And so God is calling us higher. We don't have to live up to what this secular book is calling us. And um, I would like to go to Acts, um, again, back to Acts 26. Acts 26, I just looked at the time, I'm so sorry. Acts 26, verse 16. It says, um, Acts 26, verse 16, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of the things which thou hast seen, and those things in which I will appear unto thee. Just like God or just like God called Paul, so God is calling us. He has called us for this purpose, to be a minister and a witness. It is our time to arise. It is our time to wake up from our lethargic sleeping, our spiritual deadness, and it's our time to be soldiers for Christ. Now or never. Now is the time to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Now is the time to let the love of Jesus motivate you. There's so much sin, there's so much suffering, there's so much dying in this world. There's just so much horrible things going on in this world. This should disgust us. This should move us to our feet to act and to want to share the love of Christ. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. God wants to use us. He wants to use you. He wants to use the church, but we need to be willing we need to rise. We need to stand. We need to be willing to go out there. God wants to use us. And a, a, to end verse, Matthew 24, verse 14, which is a very known verse that we all know. Matthew, sorry, Matthew 4, uh, yes, Matthew 24, 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all the world. For a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. 
We are the witness. We are the ones that are going to go out there and preach to the world. Many people say, I want Jesus to come soon. Oh, I can't wait till Jesus comes soon. I can't wait either, brother and sisters. But do you see how many people are dying without the knowledge of Jesus Christ? I want Jesus to come. So let us act. Let's show that we love Jesus. Let us not just talk and say that we love Jesus, but let us show it through our lives. And this is what we this is what I desire for the church in my own life to just share what Jesus has done for me. May this word be a blessing and may God bless you today and may the love of Christ constrain us.